the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You are about to listen to American Signpost, a thought that points us back to God. Behind the question of liberty or tyranny is the question of biblical truth or public opinion. I am Pastor William Boyle, and this is an American Signpost. When Bible truth trumped public opinion, America was powerful. Opinions come and go like the morning mist. The Bible is a rock of ages. Before the pilgrims stepped on Plymouth Rock, they were already standing on a rock. That rock was the Word of God. Two and a half centuries after their arrival, the state of Massachusetts erected the largest granite monument in America to herald the faith of the Pilgrim Fathers. Signpost belongs at forks in the road. We are at one such fork. Will we Americans overthrow our heritage, silence the Bible, or will we instead say no to deify their own personal opinions? On this decision hangs the future of the country. Welcome to Signpost. Signposts has been posing one question. How can America's past shed light on her future? Join Signpost host, Pastor William Boylan, and his son, author Andrew Boylan, as they visit America's foundation to understand better what's happening in the world today. Get ready to hear about America's beginnings, as you have probably never heard before. Now, let's join Signpost. Good day, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Signpost. I'm happy that you're here to join us. I am Santos Irizarry. I am just a small little host, maybe a student more than anything else, along here with the teacher of Signpost, Pastor Bill Boylan. Uh, Pastor, welcome to the program, and uh, it's always a pleasure to see you today. Well, it's it's a treat to be back. As uh, you know, I've been away for a little while, and uh, these are very enjoyable times for me, Santos, and you said you're a small part of it, but I don't consider it that way. I think that Uh, you really, uh, you you, you were... able to ask the right question. Boy, when you ask the right question, <laughs> that's what put things on track. So, yeah. Well, I, I think, I, you know, I, I want to thank God for that because I, I think there were times where I hear you speak and I was like, all right, let me just write these things down because, like I said, I'm a student, but, you know, as a student, I always feel like a good student always asks good questions, you know, and um, and you're a great teacher. And I, I, like, I always look forward for, for when we have our sessions here with signposts. Um, and I think, you know, um, I know people that are listening <laughs> feel the same way because I've been I get emails and I get phone calls and they they um, and they they like the questions I ask and it's kind of like one guy said that um, one listener said that he felt that I was like putting you on the spot sometimes and I felt well. I think a pastor needs to be challenged sometimes. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. Uh, didn't Jesus say something about the the way is narrow, and he meant it's a, it's a little bit tough to get through. You have to squeeze your way through sometimes. Yeah, sometimes because uh, you know it's supposed to be to test us and put us to the test. Amen to that. Yeah, otherwise, uh, don't I, and I read something Peter said about you know all of these trials and tribulations are meant to strengthen you. They're not there. To... I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, I feel a, like I feel like I've gone through my share, and I got plenty more. 
nowhere to go. Well, Paul even went so far as to say, I rejoice in my sufferings. Amen to that. <laughs> and he didn't because they were fun, but because they were doing a good thing in his life. So, Amen. So Amen. Keep asking the high question. I'll do, I'll do my best. I'll do my best. So, Pastor, what is on today's agenda? Well, we spoke a little while back, and people may remember if they were tuned in, uh, about the Reformation and the fact that this is the 500th anniversary of the posting of the 95 Theses that wow. Luther mm-hmm. tacked on the door of the Wittenberg Church challenging the leadership of the church, challenging the thinking of the church in terms of where they were taking the church. And he said, in effect, you know, you, you missed the main point. I've uh, The main point of Christ's call is to repent. Mm-hmm. And he didn't mean in that just kind of a, a, a one-time thing where I repent, okay, I'm done with that, now let's go on to whatever else. No, no. He was talking about a lifetime of turning back to God. Right. Repentance is turning back. It's right. turning the other way. The, the actual word in the Greek is metanoia, okay. a transformation of the mind. Think about life differently than you would naturally think about it because you're fallen from God, and what God wants is not the way we naturally think. Mm-hmm. We think that... Uh, we think that we are able to handle our lives, uh, direct our path, do all these things because God, and he has, he's given us great gifts. But the fact is, if we do that divorced from him, then we are on our own. We're going our own way. There's a way that seems right to us, but it's the way of death. And right. you don't just turn around in a moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, this lifetime is meant to be the time during which, like a great ship we, of state, we turn our lives around. Come about. And so Luther, in the first of his 95 Theses, said that. He said, when Jesus says, I have come to preach repentance mm-hmm. and the presence of the kingdom of God, he meant, I'm, I'm, I'm going to deal with your heart and with your mind, and if you follow me, I will turn your life right around and head it in the right direction. Amen. Amen to that. Amen. So that, you know, that that was what uh, he came to, uh, brought, he didn't come to it, he brought it back to the church about 500 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think we've been in a 500-year struggle to really make that a reality right. in, in the life of the Christian church. Amen, amen. I, I think one of the things, I just want to say real quick, because one of the things that, about the, the, the papers that he wrote, he talked, what I think I like, that you know, he talks about, about a lot of repentance, but he also mentions a lot about about having that relationship, you know, where I think the church at the time when he was around was more about the church makes all the calls, so to speak. Yes, yes. Yeah. The church took the place of Christ. Right. Uh, you you look to the church for your forgiveness. Mm-hmm. You look to the church for your salvation. Uh, and the church, if you, if you offended the church, you ousted. And if you excommunicated, the idea was that you were also cast out of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And Luther, as a Bible scholar, as he studied his uh, scriptures in the monastery, began to see verses that contradicted that. It, it was the grace of God. It was the mercy of God. And it didn't mean that God was just willing to be bygones be bygones. It cost him the life of his son to do all of this. Right. Uh, uh, we did. Uh, we owed our blood. We owed, The life of the body is in the blood. Mm-hmm. So when we say we owed our blood, we owed our life to God. We right. had taken from his hand our life, and then we had taken it away from God and used it for ourselves. 
And in order to give us our life back, he had to he had to change what we are, not just in our behavior, but in our character. And that's what the gospel is. It's a change of heart and mind. And for that change to come, and that change is repentance. Mm -hmm. So Jesus comes preaching the kingdom of God, and he comes, therefore, preaching repentance. It's in Matthew chapter 4. And Luther picked up on that, and he really investigated it and spelled out what it meant in practice. Amen. Amen. So you were saying again about where we at? Well, I thought maybe what we might do is uh, capitalize on something we did a, actually a couple weeks ago now, uh, uh, but I, I can just take this moment to remind people if, and, and to tell people if they weren't listening, and not everybody's listening every week by any means, so therefore what was that about? Well, I, I was saying a couple of weeks ago that if, at least for me, and I think I find it for a lot of people, if if the people uh, you know, who are talking to me are telling me what they're getting out of my teaching and, and the ministry I've had, uh, they find that if you can contextualize the thing, if you can see the big picture, it's a lot easier to understand the details. Uh, if you can see the overall, then the independent parts, the, the nitty-gritty, so to say, is much more understandable than if you're just trying to memorize things to do or, or you know, specifics. Uh, so... And this is something that I developed. Uh, it's not my idea. There's no such thing as anything new under the sun. So mm-hmm. I'm not pretending, and I don't want people listening to think that I have discovered something that nobody's ever known before. <laughs> <laughs> That's so far from the truth. Okay. But but I have thought about it. And and what I tried to do, and this is for junior high boys and girls, young men and women almost, uh, I tried to give them a a, a picture of the Bible and the Bible story that made some sense to them. And when they came to individual accounts, when they came to David or Moses or Jesus uh, uh, or the book of Acts, uh, that they had some kind of frame of reference. So it made sense to them and they could see where it came from and they could see where it was heading. And they could therefore have a better grasp on their own life and what was happening in their personal experience. So so what I developed for them, and it's not gimmicky, but it's also not so exact that I want to uh, uh, have my thumbnails pulled out if I've got it a little <laughs> wrong. But, but no, but if, if, you, if you start, and I think you should, and you, if you're listening, you should think about the beginning of the Bible at chapter 12 of Genesis. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because the first 11 chapters function kind of as a prologue. They tell us creation to judgment. Mm-hmm. God says, let there be light and creation begins. He says, you've all gone into the darkness, therefore I'm flooding this place out. Okay. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You know, you've, you've ceased to be children of the light. Okay. You're living, uh, the imaginations of your heart are only evil all the time. There's nothing good that I see. Uh, and therefore, let's call quits. Mm-hmm. And and he saves Noah so he can start all over again. Right. So Noah becomes really his new Adam, mm-hmm. the second Adam. Not the one, uh, as Paul talks about, with Jesus being that second Adam in another sense. I mean, he's really starting the new creation. Right. But, uh, but I mean... The, the human race is, in a sense, starting over again with, with Noah and his family. And so and that's chapters 6, 7, and 8 where the flood comes. But then we get to chapter 12, 
God reaches into a pagan culture, uh, Ur, Chaldea, and he's got a businessman up there named Abram. And he chooses out of his grace to make Abram the beginning of his new kingdom, his kingdom on earth. And he's going to do it with Abraham as a person. Then he's going to develop into Abraham's family. And then he's going to take Abraham's family and turn them into his own kingdom. Mm -hmm. So if and that's about 4000 years ago to us, 2000 years before Christ comes, Abraham receives a call to Follow God, and through Abraham, God is going to bless the whole world. He's going to be the instrumental cause, not the ultimate cause. God's the ultimate cause of all things, but the instrumental cause of God's blessing coming to the world. Right. He's going to bless the world through Abram. And then if, as you go on, it happens in the strangest way. Instead of just being glory to glory, uh, it happens through the struggles, the strife, the, the sufferings of God's people till they end up being pure slaves down in Egypt. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem like this is, if you asked me, and I was there lugging bricks to the top of the pyramids, I wouldn't say God had a great idea in this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but God knows what he's doing. And so 500 years approximately mm -hmm. after Abraham, God calls another man to be a unique servant, Moses. Mm -hmm. Moses uh, is called to go and to put an end to this. He's called to go and to have a showdown with Pharaoh. Impossible. A shepherd uh, who has already got a death warrant, I mean, yep. a death sentence against him. I mean, his picture is in the post offices of Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> right? Okay. No, that's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah, he's a wanted man. America's, well, he's, he's just number one wanted person. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, he's right. A, he's, yep. yeah. And, and God says to him, you go back and face down Pharaoh. Mm. And, and, and Moses said, hey, you need a speech maker. <laughs> I mean, I stutter. You know, you don't want me. And God says, oh, Moses, shape up. I made your mouth. I can use your mouth. Mm -hmm. Well, Moses, even at that, I just think he didn't want to go. <laughs> but he says, okay, I'll relent, God says. And you say it to your brother Aaron. He's a good talker, and he'll tell it to Pharaoh, <laughs> you see. But the real point is, what is the point all the way to me and our times and your times? I mean, these times. And that is, Moses, you're not going to accomplish this. You're going to speak words I'm going to perform. Right. I will do the performing. You do the proclaiming. Right. And how easy is it for the church, isn't it, to get off that? Exactly. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Absolutely right. Yeah. We, we, we tend so easily to think our performance is the key when actually our proclamation is the key. Right. We proclaim Christ. <laughs> and, and when he's proclaimed for who he is and what he did, God acts on that, right. and he transforms lives. But anyway, but it started a long time ago when he sent uh, Moses into Pharaoh's courts mm. to mm. have the showdown, as I called it, and to release the people and to bring them out of bondage and to deliver them over to freedom, right. the freedom of the promised land. About a thousand years later, after their you know, release. They go through the Red Sea. They wander in the wilderness. They brought into Canaan. They develop into more more than just a family line. Now they are a kingdom. They're going to have a king. Saul is the first king, but uh, Saul fails God. Mm -hmm. And then about 500 years, interestingly, 500 years after they are released from their captivity in Egypt or their bondage, 
David comes, and David is the pinnacle of the kingdom in Old Testament times. He, right. is, he is a man after God's own heart. Uh, he is a humble shepherd boy. He mm-hmm. is the runt of the litter, so to say, in terms of all the brothers. But nevertheless, but God doesn't need, uh, he needs faith, not, right. not ability. Right. And so David believes God. David is a man after God's own heart. And through David, the kingdom in the ancient times, in when it was the house of Israel becomes its largest, its widest, uh, its borders are expanded. Uh, and that's about a thousand years after Abraham and 500 years after Moses. Now, <clears throat> the Israelites in their uh, wanderings uh, were really faithless, and the book of Hebrews tells us about that. And then they do it all over again after the time of David to the point where God needs to discipline them 500 years later. Wow. 589 B.C., mm-hmm. and he sends in the Babylonians. And Babylonia, Babylon, I think I would argue, can't prove it, but I'd argue that God raised up Babylon for the purpose of disciplining Israel. To clean the because, house. To clean the house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because don't we notice that when the work is done for the 70 years that Israel, the Israelites are in captivity mm-hmm. in Babylon, after they have therefore repented and seen the folly of their ways and seeing what their idolatry is really all about mm-hmm. because is there any kingdom on earth more idolatrous than babylon i know no they have soothsayers and tarot readers and all this spooky supernatural stuff that's really <laughs> demonic <laughs> right yeah. and they have to live there for 70 years in the midst of this right but it's kind of interesting to me that when the 70 years are up it's also up for Babylon. Right. Babylon gets conquered by right. the Syri- uh, by uh, you know the uh, the Persians, right? The uh, media Persians and Cyrus. But anyway, that's about five hundred years after David. So, and then what's beginning is the the age of the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Now Israel is going to be scattered out among like salt and light, salt in the earth to to bring the message of Christ worldwide so uh in and so about 500 years after the captivity christ is born mm-hmm. it's the right time paul can't be more clear when he writes to the galatians when the time had fully come god sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law mm-hmm. now we've got those fellow periods uh, at that time, <clears throat> the Roman Empire had been raised up, I think providentially, because the one thing Romans built were roads. And the one thing that the gospel needed was easy transport yep. so it could get out to all the world. Right. <laughs> and so if the soldiers could walk down these roads, so could Paul. Right. And since Rome ruled the world, Paul didn't need a passport. <laughs> he could, there were no borders to him. He could go anywhere because he was a Roman citizen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a strategic move of the Holy Spirit. It was. When, yeah, Jesus says go into all the world. He didn't say, but you, you, nobody will let you. <laughs> of course, I've opened it up. I've, I've raised up this empire to be the right empire at the right time for the right reason. Right. And the right reason is so the gospel can go into all the world, the known world, mm-hmm. right? When you get to the period 500 years later, there's a great revival because what's happening as time goes on, it happens, it's happening in America today, it's happening in our churches, but it, it keeps happening. Uh, we begin to turn away from our trust in God and begin to trust the things God's given us. Right. Don't we? 
Yeah. We, we do. We, we kind of become the idol worshipers again. Yeah. We, we, we look at the things God has done, and then subtly we begin to trust the things God has done. And mm-hmm. we stop looking to him, mm-hmm. and we look to the things he's given us. Right. And we rely on them. And that's an old story. And they did it after the apostolic era. Uh, the church began to be more than God meant it to be. It was a community. It was mm-hmm. a fellowship. It mm-hmm. was a, it was a, a you know, a, a bondage. A bond, I'm sorry, I meant a bonding. A bonding of people who had the same faith in Christ. Right. Yeah. But when you get into the year 500, uh, there's a lot of other claims about who Christ was and what he did and what salvation is and there was a there were a lot of heresies running around mm-hmm. so it's kind of interesting to me that uh, at that period is when you have the great creeds written uh, what happens is the Roman Empire, Emperor Constantine becomes a Christian. Mm-hmm. And instead of the Christians being now persecuted in the empire now the leaders of the church, the bishops, the the episcopoi, which uh, means the leaders of the church, now they are being respected, and Constantine wants to know what he's supposed to really believe. And that, and so he pays the price, so Mm -hmm. he he pays the cost of conventions, and he brings the leaders to places like Nicaea to write creeds for him. Tell me what I believe. What am I supposed to believe? And you get the Chalcedonian Creed mm-hmm. and the Nicene Creed. And it was really a great revival time. I read at one point that it was the, the Christian faith was so on the surface of life in, in and around four or 500 A.D. that uh, if a woman went to, buy her, to the butcher store to buy a leg of lamb, she had a discussion about the Trinity with the butcher. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, <laughs> it was in everybody's mind and on the right. tip of everybody's tongue, and you get great creeds. Now, the creed we use does not come from that era, but it's the same idea. We 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 every month as a church say, "I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost." born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the mm-hmm. dead, he ascended to heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. We believe in the, and we give the the uh, particulars about right. what we believe. Right. It's a creed. Right. <laughs> and the creed is meant to give a global picture of what the Bible's saying, it gives everybody a handle on the truth, and and hopefully it keeps the church on track, you know, so it doesn't go off into heretical directions. Right. And those creeds, not that one, I sorry, maybe it's a bad example because that was later on, and they call it the Apostles' Creed, right. not because the apostles wrote it, but because it represents what the apostles preached. Right. Yeah. But but the Nicene Creed and the Chalcedonian Creed, which deal with the person of Christ and and different matters, they uh, were written around 500 A.D. Okay. And and then by a thousand A.D. I would say the church had really betrayed itself. The church now took the world over. It became the world became a theocracy mm-hmm. under the under the papacy, and uh, and many of those who really were devout, sincere Christians who wanted to bring it back, bring the church back to uh, biblical standards, bring it back. Uh, many of them were put to death for their efforts, 
And there was a great struggle for the next 500 years, and uh, out of the woodwork came many, not just Luther. Luther's very famous because he posts his thesis, he poses his questions, he challenges the powers that be uh, as to what they're teaching and doing in the life of the church and saying, let's get back to the Bible. It was a back-to-the-Bible movement. And, uh, but he, he, interestingly, was not alone. Uh, you you can and they, and it was not organized. There wasn't somebody that went out and tried to find somebody everywhere who would hold the same idea. It was the spirit of God that brought these people out of the church and out of their woodwork, so to say. And so you had up in northern Scotland, you had John Knox, mm-hmm. and then you had down in England, you had uh, Wycliffe, uh-huh. and then you had among the French uh, the the, the uh, Huguenots, mm-hmm. and then you had Pharaoh down in Switzerland. And Haas over in Czechoslovakia today, but it was Bohemia. And then way down in Italy, you had Savonarola. But they interestingly all came to the same conclusion at the same time, that God was God. This is his world. Mm -hmm. He sent his son. We are saved by his grace. We we are one in terms of belief. the the church is not powerful when it's organized as one thing. It's powerful when it's on the same page in in, in light of their faith. Amen, <laughs> amen. So I went a little further maybe than I did. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> but well, I just that was what we talked about before. But but that big picture really helped my junior high kids. Okay, you know they came away with a, with a different sense. The Bible wasn't just something. Well, I got to read it or something. All of a sudden they 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 saw that. Uh, it's so yeah. it's so like you what you two did, Pastor, was um a family tree. You know, because you think about it, you know, when when people start doing their and their ancestors and they do a family tree, you when they'd see the visuals of it, you know, when they can say, Okay, here's where we started and here's where we are and this branch of this tree, yeah. you know, they they can see it and that's exactly what you just did. You what you did was you started with Adam and how it yeah. broke down all the way yeah. down the tree. Yeah. And where we are today. So Right. Yeah. Well, it's a good way to put it. I didn't think of it that way, but that yes, that's what I was trying to do. And particularly, these these young people were at the you know at that critical turning point. Mm-hmm. They're not grade school kids anymore. Right. They got their high school ahead of them, mm-hmm. but they're thinkers, and uh, and and they had a sense. And I gave them a sense, and this is what I wanted to do, and I felt it, it happened. I gave them a sense of um, I don't want to say power because that wasn't power, but confidence. Mm-hmm. You know, now oh yeah, now. Now I see what we're talking about. Right. I, did, I haven't memorized 1,500 Bible verses that I don't see how they connect. <laughs> now I see I see the history is really his story. Right. And that's true because, uh, you know, we talk about the Bible being a, a living entity, you know, and, and sometimes people say, like, well, they want to know the story behind the Bible, so to speak. Like, you know, we always talk about what's, what's behind. Like, you know, you see a great play, a great show. You know, and you're like, that's great, but the the works behind it is actually bigger than yeah. the show itself. Yeah. And the Bible, being the living entity, being what it is, sometimes, you know, you got to know, well, how did it get this way? Mm-hmm. You know, who decided the books, well, how the books were created? Um, there's 66 books. Who decided to put, the, you know, if, if John wrote five, you know, why is, you know, Revelations at the back and so on and so on, you know, in a different time frames, but they're all in the way they're supposed to be. And, and so, uh, you know, like you said, you know, I, I think what you did was bring it to somewhat order and understanding of what's behind the scenes of the Bible. Uh, we got to take a quick break, Pastor. 
Thank All right, you. before we go on, um, so this is Santos Irizarry listening to um, Signpost here. I would pass to um, Bill Boylan. For those that are waiting to hear from Andrew, uh, he's not here today. <laughs> he had a prior engagement and he couldn't make it for t- today's program, but he'll be back next week with us. Um, so stay tuned for after these commercials for more Signpost here on WBIX. Oh, I've got the station here. <laughs> w- AM 1260 WBIX, The Buzz. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.